0: For those of you who are older, this title will seem a bit cliche. For those of you who are younger, you don't have a clue. And I'll tell you something about this title. It's the title of a song that was popular when some old dinosaurs like myself were coming up. But this is the title of our message this morning. And for those of us who are over 30 or over 30, let's say over 40, uh, I'm going to... I wish there were more of the under 40 crowd that were present today, but I want this to go on record, so what I'm going to say is directed towards that demographic, but there's something in it for all of us. And this music stand is getting on my nerves because it's in my And so is this mic stand. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, So Dare to be a Daniel. And as a subtitle, and, and I'll tell you what I mean by this. And this is maybe a bit tongue-in-cheek, but I'll use this as a subtitle, Unleashing Your Inner Prophet. Uh, Unleashing Your Inner Prophet. And, and our text this morning is basically the first chapter of Daniel. And I'm going to read the whole first chapter of Daniel. I want to encourage you after this morning to maybe take some time and sit down and try to work your way through the book of Daniel. It's a fascinating book. It's really exciting in the first several chapters. It gets a little, a little, uh, bogs down a little bit in the middle, but but there's an important message there. And I want to, and, and you'll hear Daniel preached from a lot of different perspectives. And one of the perspectives is, of course, there's there's a lot that, that is uh, a lot of um, the uh, contemporary understanding of biblical prophecy is rooted in Daniel. There's a lot of prophetic things. things Dan, Daniel is a prophet. He's a man of vision and a man who hears from God and sees things that God shows him. And so Daniel sees things that, that, that speak of the times in which he's in and the political and the, uh, and the social upheaval and change that is to come. But in addition to that, uh, he, Daniel lays down things that, that, are, that it's believed that extend into the current uh, reality as far as the prophetic. But also, and also you'll hear the miracle stories about Daniel and the lion's den, right? And, and the, the, the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the fiery furnace, furnace and that kind of thing. And those are all important parts. But I want to look at Daniel, uh, and that's why the first chapter gives I think us the, the most bang for our buck. I want to look at Daniel in terms of what it's like to live your faith in a cultural environment that is somewhat foreign to you. What it's like to, 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 to be forced with the challenge of, be, of living your faith in an environment that is not uh, as as amenable to your faith as you would like it to be, with the understanding that contemporary Western culture uh, is no longer the friendly place that it had once been thought to be uh, for Christian ideals. And for those of you who are younger, those of you particularly who are thinking of, who are looking at going off to college and that kind of thing, the thing that you're faced with is the fact that you're in one cultural environment in your family, and here at your church, when, when we all speak the same language, and your belief systems are, are, have been stoked and affirmed and, and, uh, and, uh, and built, and then you, you, you're, you're safe among your peers, and you're safe among your family and friends and around the Christians that you know. And many of you, when you go off to college, particularly many of you will go to a secular university, or you'll go out of state, maybe some of you will go to Yale or Harvard, I don't know. Uh, uh, you know, but but you'll go off to you'll go and you'll find yourself in a in a in a different environment, not only physically but in a different environment uh, uh, philosophically and with regard to thought and ideas. And you will find that sometimes you'll it, it'll be, be be a hostile environment that you'll find yourself in. And the challenge is this: How do you do your faith? How do you live your faith? in an environment that is not so conducive to living that faith, then, the, then the, question, the first question would be, can you? And the answer is yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I, I, would, I would suggest that we can not only survive but thrive in every environment and in every situation uh, with regard to no matter how hostile it is, it, that environment may be towards what we believe or no matter how much we may stick out. As a matter of fact, you might, in unleashing your inner profit, you might find there's a particular joy and a particular challenge that you, that you end up rising to, the challenge of being who you are in the midst of a setting that says who you are doesn't count and we don't like what you're about. And there's some of you, there's that thing inside of you, that's just what you need to say, you know what, you're not going to tell me what to believe and how to behave. I'm going to stand by what I believe. And, yeah. it, and as we get into this, it's interesting, isn't it, that we have a way of being maybe we could turn our inner rebelliousness, instead of rebelling from the things that we hold near and dear, because it seems the cool thing to do, because we go through that phase as, as, as kids, maybe we could use that inner thing, that inner need to differentiate ourselves and really differentiate ourselves and stand up for what we've been taught and what we believe and what we know to be the truth in environments where everybody looks at us like we're crazy and say, okay, call me crazy, right? But anyway, let me just read a little bit of this text to you, and uh, it, it reads like this in Daniel, the first chapter. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Now, what, what's happening here in these first two verses is we're getting the picture of what's, what's going on in the socio political realm. Uh, basically, uh, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim is king of Judah, and Nebuchadnezzar, you've heard that name, the great king of Babylon, he comes to Jerusalem and basically besieges it. He comes and takes over, he, he conquers, he invades Jerusalem. And he brings Jehoiakim, king of Judah, along. He cap, basically captures him, and then some of the articles from the temple of God, some of the fine articles of gold and silver that are part of temple worship, these things are carried off to his treasure. In other words, this is a, a, a cultural takeover. Israel, Ju- Jerusalem is besieged by Babylon. Uh, then, uh, verse 3, the king ordered Aspenaz, um, Chief of his court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Here's, see, we're going to go. We're going we're to get some of your, your people, some of your best and brightest. He goes on. He says, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them. Listen to this: the language and literature of the Babylonians. Now these are Jewish kids. These are kids that have been brought up in the worship of Yahweh. Kids have been brought up in the law of God. Kids have been brought up in a monotheistic culture. They've been brought up to serve and to live for the one and only true God, Yahweh, as revealed in the Old Testament, right? But they're the best and brightest. You know what? When, when the enemy goes after God's people, he, he goes after everybody, but, he, but those of you that are smart and those of you that are good looking and those of you that are talented and that's m- m- all of you in one way or another, you, he, he particularly, those, he wants the best, Right? If you were going to raid and if you were going to kidnap and you were going to bring some people along, you want the best, you want the strongest, you want the smartest, you want those who have the most to offer. And he, his, Aspenaz, his task is to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. They, I'm sure they're, they're not trying to learn the language and literature of the Babylonians, but they're being conscripted into to official service of this, of this kingdom. The, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah. And here are the guys we're looking at. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The chief official gave, listen to this, we'll talk about this in a moment, gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Uh, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Verse 15, at the end of uh, the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine uh, they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Uh, to these four young men, God gave knowledge, listen to this, an understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. Verse 21, last verse of the chapter. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Dare to be a Daniel. There was a song. It was probably one that if you were a little bit older than I mean, some of you are, you would have heard it at, at, maybe at camp. You would have heard it in youth group or in Sunday school. Daniel and his friends show us what it looks like to live out our faith in a culture that doesn't understand our faith, that doesn't accept our faith, our belief system, our worldview, if you will. And I hope that for you, your Christianity is not just a, a belief system in the sense that, you know, I, I'm a Christian because I go to church, but I hope that because of your having read and studied and imbibed and, and formed your life by the Scripture, allowing the Spirit of God to form your life and to form your heart by the Word of God, I hope that you, you're acquiring a Christian worldview. Our faith is not just supposed to be something that's compartmentalized into the Sunday part of our lives. You know what I'm saying? Uh, to where, yeah, I'm a Christian because my mama drags me to church on Sunday. But it is something that is the Word of God, the truth of God's Word, is it represents a worldview. It is a way of looking at life. One of the problems that some of us throughout the course of our adult life have gotten into is when we have at various times sacrificed or neglected our Christian worldview and allowed our thinking and our perceptions to be shaped by the, the broader culture around us to the to the, at the expense, rather, of the Christian worldview. There are things that God says, there's a, there's a kingdom of God mentality. There are things that God says, this is the way life is, this is, the way, this is reality. For instance, in the kingdom of God, the way up is down. It's, uh, there, there's this law of diametric opposites, right? And so you, we learn that by humbling ourselves, we get exalted in the eyes of God, and then it empowers God to do things for us that we cannot do for ourselves. It's interesting. I heard somebody put it like this when we talk about the kingdom of God. And a, and we talk about going down as opposed to going up. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you got to hang around and listen to us teach more so you understand what I mean. But taking the way of humility as opposed to the way of pride and arrogance and egotism. And I heard somebody put it beautifully, put it like this. He said, you know what, the thing about it, when we go down, the, the devil doesn't follow you there because he he's always trying to put himself up. So when we humble ourselves and take the low road, he doesn't and won't and can't even follow us there. We're, we're in God territory when we are walking in genuine biblical, biblical humility. But some of us, there are times when we sacrificed our Christian worldview to try to do it the world's way, and we pay the price. I hope that you are allowing your faith to cultivate within your thinking a Christian worldview and an attitude and an outlook so that you judge all things and process all things through the limbs of the truth Of God's Word as revealed in Scripture so that your life becomes this holistic thing and not this fragmented thing where, you know, I'm kind of religious on one hand, but when I'm out here, I'm this way with this group of people and I'm this way here, but to where you're the same person all the time, no matter who you're with, you you know how to adapt to various situations. Yes, you know how to, 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 to conform to, ne- and to the extent necessary to be appropriate, but you are not a different person in the various places in your life. Um, and so Daniel, he and his friends, th- this first chapter, give us some insight into to how he's dealing with this thing of having to live out his faith amongst people and in a, in a foreign culture that doesn't understand uh, or accept his, his faith or his culture. Uh, and so your culture that you've, been, that, you've, that you've been brought up in, your culture that you've gained from your experience with Christ, the culture that you've embraced because you believe that the Bible is the Word of God, uh, that culture will be challenged as you find yourself in environments where people don't agree with that. There's a couple things that we have to realize. First of all, get ready for that and deal with it. We, we are deluding ourselves if we think we will be able to carve a niche out through our lives where we'll always find ourselves in this safe little place where everyone all around us will always believe what we believe and think that we're nice people for believing it. There are people that, and I'm telling you, I don't care if you're six years old, you need to know this. Because the fact is this, there are people, and sometimes it's because they don't understand your faith, Sometimes it's because they don't understand religion, they don't understand God, because there, is, there are other social pressures that are pushing people away from belief in God to a more atheistic or agnostic lifestyle that's been popularized. There are a lot of different reasons why, but there will, you will generally find yourself in situations where you'll need to know who you are and stand for what you believe, and you won't always have the props and supports that you have when you're in an environment like this, or an environment like your home, or an environment like your Christian school. Although some of you may have had some pretty untoward experiences even in places like that. Because sometimes our Christian environments harbor pockets of unbelief and, 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 and strange stuff that, that are hard to explain. But the, you have your culture, and sometimes our culture becomes a kind of subculture. And in, in America, we've tried in, in recent decades to, we've fought the so-called culture wars to try to make our culture the dominant culture, and we have not been so successful at that. But I don't know if that was ever supposed to be the goal. I, I read the New Testament. I don't see that. as I see the Great Commission as the goal. I, I realize that we are, to, to whatever extent, preach the kingdom of God and extend the rule and reign of God into every area of life that we are able to. But we have no guarantee that just because we're Christians in a given situation that we can always rest or we can wrestle the culture, the dominant culture, and make it ours. Uh, and it seems that in, in, in our experience, as in this national context, we are having to get over the the, the idea that we can make You know, as the church, we can gain some sort of societal dominance that will make everybody like us and give us the upper hand so that we can run everything. Uh, We've never had that much, that privilege very much throughout the history of the world uh, since the first century. And I know some of you may disagree with me on this, but when we, for a time, it worked in Rome and then ultimately... Uh, there were other complications. it just this noise is not always as simple as it seems. Uh, so you have the predominant culture, the dominant culture around you You, don't, you have no guarantee that that 's a Christian culture. You have uh, popular culture which is market driven which is uh, driven by the market and trends and what is trendy and popular and that 's a big thing, but popular culture you, you 've got to put it in its place because you know, it's just about what people, what is trending now. Uh, what is trending now is not what will trend forever. And so, if you're going to build a life, you've got to find that which you can bank on and which you can count on. And you've got to build your hopes on things eternal. So, that leaves us with kingdom culture, the values that are espoused by Jesus, the values of Scripture. Um, and so, Daniel's displaced because he's taken out of a, out of a, a, a nation that is a, 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 a theocracy, a nation that is under the rule of God through a, a divinely appointed monarchy, a nation that is that is, that is founded by God to be god 's special people, a nation that, that that is built upon the revelation of God of Yahweh uh, to, you know the giving of the law, the pro, the, the word of the prophets, a, a, a nation that is that is all about God and he's, he 's displaced into this culture that is polytheistic and, 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 and entirely antagonistic to what, what, what they have been raised on and what they've, they've, they've come to believe. And Daniel's displacement is similar to what you may experience in your life. Some of us in various points, even those of us who have lived a little bit longer, I think we can attest to the times when we found ourselves feeling a bit displaced. And many of us feel that way in a general sense in the society in which we live in today for various reasons. And so he's displaced. Now, here's the thing. I'll put it to you like this. Somebody, somebody said it like this. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that people are not out to get you. And, and just because you call it a conspiracy theory doesn't mean that there's not a conspiracy. So, I, I, you know, I, I, I listen with interest to in many of the popular conspiracy theories that float around and and I'll tell you, something. I, if, it, if it makes sense, I, I will, I will I, I, you know, I give it some credence. If it doesn't, I don't. I take them all with a grain of salt. But here's the conspiracy theory, and the conspiracy theory, the thing is this. There is a conspiracy. They are out to get you. Now, what, before you go and say, Pastor Charles has, has really lost his mind, although many of you have thought that for many years, uh, and I thought you thought maybe at various points I had found it, but no. There is a conspiracy. And and the Bible makes it clear there's a conspiracy, right? Be, and, and the the deal is there are forces that are out to challenge you in your walk, to challenge you in your stance, and so in the society around you. The Bible calls it the world. The New Testament uses the Greek word cosmos, and it's not the earth, the planet. It is the world system. It is. It is there is this realm, and what happens is we th- we think it's the person. We think it's the institution itself. We think it is the group. We think it is the whatever whatever, whatever entity, human entity, that we want to attribute the conspiracy to. Conspiracy is bigger than that. Uh, Paul refers to it in terms of principalities and powers, the rulers of wickedness in high places. This is a spiritual thing. And so, yes, Satan and all of his demonic hosts, Satan and all of his, all of his hordes of, of, of demons, they, are all, they all conspire against... Against you and against me and against our spiritual progress and against our testimony, against our holding to our faith. Yes, there is a conspiracy and that's what goes on in that dominant culture around you that's alienated from God and hostile to God. There is a conspiracy, yes. But don't don't get superstitious about it, and don't think, and don't don't spend your life trying to pin the conspiracy on the the people that are closest to you or the things that you see, because that's what you see in society all around you right now. Everyone wants to find out who the 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 boogeyman is, right? Who the bad person is? So we're always slinging mud and accusing each other and demonizing this group and that group. And yes, we're all culpable for our role in whatever societal craziness we are involved in. But it's a bigger thing than that. If you say why is our nation going crazy? Well, it's because of this, because you know what the reason why it is is because that the Bible said things would get worse before they get better. The reason why is because of the principalities and powers that pull the strings from places unseen that you can't see, and sometimes even when people of faith think that we're, we're operating in God's plan, sometimes we're being played by principalities and powers because we're not living according to a genuinely and thoroughly Christian worldview, and according to the principles of God's Word, we get pulled off some other direction, and, those, and, and Satan and those demonic forces, there they, they're, are they're strings being pulled, and we get played. Now, I know that's not too strange for any of y'all. But that's why things are great. When, when things are crazy, it's not just because... I, I, I know some of us, we just like to go to this place. Things are crazy because you know people is crazy. And I, you know, and, and some of you know me, I often will just... I, I can go there. Folks yeah, are crazy. And I'm driving on the freeway sometimes. And i like, these people are crazy. You can you can text your girlfriend when you get out the fast lane going 80 miles an hour on the 405 or going 60 miles an hour on the fast lane on the 405 when everybody's going 80 around you because you're texting and you weaving you that's crazy but the, but that's that's just people stuff but so daniel's displaced and 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 there there are all these p- political and national and cultural and religious Things going on here. The world is, uh, the system is is, is li- looms large. Babylon is 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 literally the the, the epitome of, of 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 godless society and godless power, political power that that is that is that is uh, collected basically against God, but steeped with all kinds of idolatry and superstition and polytheism and all kinds of things, but no one God like. The God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one God who rather than being we've talked, uh, Renee brought up a good point we're talking about, uh, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth on Wednesday night, I'm talking about the fact that the God of Scripture is the God of all, the one God who holds all power as opposed to societies like this that it's very convenient to have a whole lot of gods that have a little bit of power over one thing. None of them holds all the power. And there's a couple of things about that. you got to find the right one for the right thing. Some of y'all are trying to find the lotto god right now. Uh, you got to find the right one. And the thing about it is you, you're only... But the, the good thing about it is that you're only marginally accountable and most of the gods that they're running around trying to serve are as flawed or more messed up than they are. See, the god I serve, he says to me that he is holy That he is perfect and without flaw, I can look at him and realize he himself represents moral excellence and perfection. And so I strive by the power of his spirit working in me to become like him because in him I see what goodness and perfection is. And so when I say God is good all the time, I don't mean God is good because he does what I like all the time. I mean God is good because God is good and I got to see who God is, so I got to see what good is. A lot of times we say God is good, what does that mean? Well, I like to, we want to define that. You know, so, you know, some of you younger people and some of the younger people that that are around us who are raised Christians, some of our, I mean, I remember baptizing a bunch of our young people, i baptized my own children, you professed your your faith in Christ, but I want to challenge you this morning, as you go forward in your life, in your Christian walk, as you graduate from high school, some of you, and go to college, some of you are in college, some of you are beyond college, some of you are young adults way into life, some of you are teenagers in high school, in middle school, I want to challenge you to unleash your inner prophet. I want you to be like Daniel. And when I say prophet, if I say, if I say, you know, by, by make reference to being a prophet, you think that you, we think of some sort of glorified fortune teller. But, but see, a prophet in the Old Testament, there's foretelling. God shows them things to come. But more important is the telling. the fact that the prophet is speaking the word of God in the moment, what God is saying now. And the thing about being a prophet Unleashing your inner prophet is that sometimes the prophet, you know, like there are prophets in the Old Testament that God told them at certain times is not you don't say anything, go and do something, and you kind of demonstrate it out as an object lesson. Do this, behave this way, right? That kind of thing. And so, I would suggest to you that you have the opportunity in the midst of a uh, of a godless world that you are you are blessed and chosen to live out the love of Jesus in the midst of. All of this need around you, and it's not just that you. Uh, uh, unleashing your inner prophet means that you're going to be going out and stand. I know, God forbid, standing on the street corner and preaching the word of God to to tens of people, not to tens of thousands, to ones of people doesn't mean that you're going to be telling people, and "Thus saith you know me that the Lord through me that." you know i 'm going to tell you that this is what 's going to happen and this is who 's going to win the Olympics or whatever you know, but, but by your being and by your comportment and by your love and by your personal integrity, by your daring to be a Daniel, daring to stand for what you believe, daring to be that rebel that 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 let that in, inner rebel in you. Lean in the, in the proper direction rather than lean you away from what's good and wholesome and healthy for you. Allow your inner prophet to come out by, by allowing your life to speak prophetically because that's what the church is called to do and that's what we sometimes miss. Our role is not necessarily control. Our role is to be the prophetic voice of Christ, of God in the world through our being, through our loving, through our proclamation of the gospel, through our service to the needs of people in the world around us, through our faithfulness to the, to the crucified and resurrected Christ, to, to, uh, through our, our, our holding fast to our testimony no matter what and no matter what opposition, to be truly prophetic. You understand what I'm saying? You unleash that inner prophet. Accept the challenge to be prophetic let your life and your words your courage let those things declare the truth of who God is will you dare to do that because the one thing about a prophet if you're going to be a prophet you got to have some guts they, ain't, ain't, they ain't, ain't no timid prophets. Well, there's a couple of the reluctant ones. But if you're going to really do the prophet thing in the Old Testament, and you see the prophetic gift welling up in the New Testament, because we don't have the office of prophet as prominent in the New Testament as in the Old, but the prophetic gift is, is obvious and is, is referred to in the New Testament. And you see you see in the case of people like Peter and Paul in the book of Acts, to the apostles. They rise up. The spirit of prophecy is on them because they speak boldly to the powers that be. See, prophets get up in the face Pro- prophets speak truth to power. Prophets do all the things that all the all the all the rousers and movers and shakers talk about doing, but prophets do them in the name of Jesus and do them in, in the name of God. Prophets, prophets, prophets say, "This is who I am, and you're not going to change me." Right. See, prophets say, "This is this is what and, and this this is what I believe, and you're not going to change my mind." And, you know, going to one party is not going to like take me off my course. You know what I'm saying? One night is not going to, you know, going away to college is not going to alter my, the essence of who I am. Not that, I mean, prophets dare to go against the grain. And, and so, because what happens is we tend to be, as younger people, I know because I used to be one, we, we tend to be non-conforming conformists. If you get about 15 years old. I'm tired like being like everybody else. I'm going to be my own man. I'm going to get me some tattoos. I'm going to start wearing my pants down here. I'm going to start walking like this. I'm going to start talking like this. I'm going to be my own person. And you and about 7 million other people, yeah, we doing our own thing up off in here. Non-conforming conformist. Or if, you're, if you grew up in the valley, I just like want to so be my own person. I just want, I'm just not trying to be like everybody else. It's like totally be my own person. You know what I'm saying? And, and it basically, you just got... And among human beings, you got these pockets where everybody's doing the same thing, but they think they're... Because they're not doing... Okay, we're not like our parents but you like your peers. And that's the necessary part of growing up. It is. I understand it. If you got kids, if if when they're like 12, 13, 14, 15, if they're not like bucking the system a little bit, you probably need to go get them checked. <laughs> give them a little room. If they if they got, if they just always like all your music. They took my kids, they came back to my music when, about, when they get about 30 years old. But if they, if they, if they you know, if, if it's like, if, if they're like 15 and you're listening to 30-year-old music and they're like totally digging it, go get them checked out. <laughs> Except I have to admit now, in, in, the, in, 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 in the Latino community, it's a different thing. Yeah. They, they share their music along generally, because some of the guys we work with over in East L.A., that's stuff I had never heard of, stuff from the 60s, right? Yeah. Right, like the, the Midnighters. Little Willie G, and, yep. and so this stuff was like, these were like some East L.A. musicians in the 60s who had l- regional big hits, and then you go to these shows, and the teenagers, 20 years later, they're r- r- low-riding to the same stuff. See, a lot of you guys, you wouldn't low-ride to Smokey Robinson and the Miracles <laughs> and all that stuff. <laughs> well, they just, that was a different culture. It was, it was beautiful, because you go there, and all the kids know all the old songs, you know, the town I live in, whatever, but... but you go through that thing you you but basically and it but if you want if you want to buck the trend if you want to if you want to if you want to stand up to something if you want to really differentiate yourself you hear what i'm saying i, I want to challenge you daniel had a great opportunity here because he and his friends they had this opportunity to to uh, to, 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 to stand up and to be different from the people around them. Uh, sometimes it doesn't matter. sometimes it really matters. And, 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 uh, and, and so, as a Christian, we're really called to be the ultimate nonconformist. Yeah. Yet, like you, when you're 15 years old, you find a community of, non, of other nonconformists that nonconform the way you do. I heard a grunt. A mo- that was, or is was that Max? No. <laughs> and so we find in Christian community, we, we're all nonconformists. We're bucking the system. We're going against the grain, and we hang out together, and we're, we're all different. But then when we come together, we find parity. We find unity. We find love. We're the same. And so we get the opportunity to march to the sound or to the beat of a different drummer. And the drummer, the only drummer that we really legitimately should be marching to his music. I'm sorry, Dimitri. you're a great drummer. <laughs> but Jesus Christ is the only one. You think that brother's bad? <laughs> yeah. And so if you may find yourself displaced, but you're a prophet, and you're called upon to speak. You're on a mission, you're called upon to stand. You're, you're, you're placed by God wherever you find yourself. When you go off to college, God places you where he places you, allows you to go where you go and to be where you are for a purpose and for a reason. Now, let me just give you a few things real quick about Daniel and his friends, and we'll get out of here. Go to the next one there for me, Alice. And the first um, thing is this. The first one more click. It, it, It doesn't really matter what they call you. It matters who you are. Now, let me just real quick just want to point out a few things here. Because you know there's something about your name, Right? And, and, you know, some of you do not like to be, we were talking this morning, you know, Alice. Y- 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 y'all know Alice's husband. His name is? And what does your doctor call him? Herb. Herb. <laughs> Nobody like, I, and then I timed I, I in with the fact, my next door neighbor, neighbor Michael, I, I love my next door neighbor. We've, we've been neighbors for almost 16 years. But for the first five years I lived next door to Michael, Michael called me Richard. <laughs> and then one day I said, Hey, Michael, he's a little Vietnamese guy, he's a cool little guy, about this tall. <laughs> I said, Hey, Michael, he said, I don't want to be overbearing, I don't want to like, intimidate. Hey, Michael, you know, I said, Hey, man, you know, my name is Charles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You know, nobody likes to be called out their name, but see, sometimes what you call, that's why you be, and I don't want to get into this whole cultural discourse, but you know, when we talk about, the words that people use to, re- to refer to people, gender-based words that are very uncool. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, you know that there are ethnic Slurs and things we use, and we use that stuff to try to redefine and, and, and recategorize people. And, and, and the, verse 7 says, the, the chief official gave them new names. Let me tell you something. I'm talking about the conspiracy. The system, the principalities and powers working through various entities and, 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 and values in your life will seek to give you a different name to try to redefine you by giving you a new name. If you're old enough to remember Roots, the original Roots, LeVar Burden, Kuta Kente, that was his given name from Africa, and they beat that boy and beat that out of it, his name out till he became Toby. They said, what's your name? He said, Kunta Kente. They said, what's your name? And I've seen me have been about two or three times. Okay, Toby, Toby. <laughs> What last name you want me to take? Smith? McGuire? I don't care. <laughs> this don't hit me no more. But but it, it, it is it is powerfully indicative of how you steal someone's culture and you steal their identity and you steal because you take their language, you take their culture, you change their name. But you know what? What Daniel and his friends understood was that it doesn't matter what you call me because the, the, the Babylonians gave them new names. And so it says that you know, Daniel, his name meant... God is my judge. That's a godly name. It's like, you know, people, get names in, in the Hebrew context, they didn't just like throw names at somebody. Here's, here's a baby. What are we going to name him? Oh, I don't know. Let's name him Rocky Stone. He's born by the rock over here. Well, usually it had a little bit more me. Sometimes it was kind of that deep, but then it was usually like something about God or something about who you would hope that that child would become. My name is Charles. That means strong and manly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> My name is Charles. It means strong and manly. <laughs> my name is Charles. It means strong and manly. <laughs> you know, and my man, my grandson, he got a lot to live up to. When well, your name is like Maximus, you got to be bad. You got. He he got to. We we got to hope that he's not like five feet tall. What's your name? Maximus. <laughs> but when he walks in, what's your name? My name is Maximus Isaiah Williams. What's yours? Pleased to make your acquaintance. Death grip handshake, right? Because, And I, and I believe that that young man is going to be large in the things of God and large in the, in the use of his intellect and large in his character and large in his personhood in a very profound way. And I'm supposed to feel that way because he's my grandson, not yours. But we name people things... So it, God, Daniel meant God is my judge, but they changed it to Belteshazzar, which means Bel's prince, their god, his prince, and so they're they they they're giving him this other name. That's why don't you know? Don't take it seriously when people calling you G because you if you're not a gangster, don't buy into that. <laughs> You know what I'm saying, when people call you my whatever, you know, it's like, I ain't your whatever, because it's like, I, that's, you know, that's all street talk, but it's like, don't buy into that. Your name, and I'm not even talking about the name your mama gave you, but your name is first and foremost a, a human being created in the image of Almighty God. Your name as a Christian is a child of God, washed in the blood of the lambs, filled with God's spirit, walking in faith and power. And so uh, Hananiah, uh, his name meant beloved by the Lord. And they changed his name to Shadrach. Don't, tell, don't name your baby Shadrach, because it means illumined by sun god. You see how they tried to redefine them? And then Mishael mean, means who is his god? And then Meshach means who is like Venus? And then Azariah meant the Lord is my help. It was changed to Abednego. No Negro jokes on this one, okay? <laughs> uh, meaning servant of Nego. <laughs> you know... If you grew up in church, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but people will try to redefine you. People will try to rename you. They will try to to assign to you a, another moniker. They will, and you know, all you have to do is go to elementary and, and middle school because you know, like, you know what I'm saying. If if you if you're too heavy, if you're too skinny, if your ears are too big. You know, many of you are still. Many of you are very old and still carrying in the back of your mind somebody called you some stupid name, and you still you still got pain from that. Here comes old Big Ears. Here comes Dumbo. You know, whatever. <laughs> and every time you you know it's a family reunion, we'll be eating in it. We got gumbo. We said, "Oh no, Dumbo, no." <laughs> but don't you, you got to know who you are? Don't, you know, they say what? what it they say don't leave home without, what, American Express? Right. Yeah. Don't, you know. Uh, don't leave home without knowing who you are. Don't Don't go off into life uncertain of who you are because if you are ill-defined in yourself, there are plenty of people around you through whom the system will define and redefine and, and shape you if you are unshaped. Make sure that while you are growing up and while you're coming up and while you're in school, make sure that you gain a sense of who you are. And take some time and give a little reverence and a little deference to your family of origin and to your people and, and find a little bit about your history, the good, the bad, the ugly, and and, and realize that you, you are a product of your environment, your people, your family, and, and, and look at your life for what it is and look at your faith and understand who. Who you are and understand what you're about, because if you don't know that, someone will put their title on you. Yes. But, but Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah wouldn't allow that. They'll, and, and so this is the secret to Daniel's success and his friend's success. He will not allow other people around him to, 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 to redefine them. Then the second thing is this. Uh, there's no substitute for a made-up mind. Just as I said, there's no substitute for knowing who you are, essentially, It says in verse 8, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. There were certain Jewish dietary laws and restrictions, and they were faithful Jews. He was not going to, just because you carry me off, I'm not going to deviate from what I believe is God's path for me. You are eating, they're undoubtedly in the king's household. The food was probably very good, you know, probably got it from Whole Foods in Babylon, you know, whatever. I can't get afford that kind of stuff. I was talking to someone, they said, I went to the Whole Foods after I got my degree, and I got one bag of groceries and $150, and I literally cried. <laughs> but, but, you know, they said, but, but it was a religious thing. It says food, you know, Paul talks about, you know, the New Testament, if stuff is offered to idols and, and you know, if, if it's offered to you and it's not a big deal to you, you're okay in Christ. But for them, we, they want to stay pure to what they were raised of. And I want to tell you something. Let me just put it to you like this. Why? Why is it as Christians, we're like the first ones to compromise on everything. We're the first ones to shove our beliefs under the table somewhere. I'm not talking about being Mr. Crazy Christian with two comedy K's or anything like that. But really, Daniel said, you know what? I'm going off in the life here. I'm curious. I'm go- I'm just gonna live what I was taught. I'm gonna live according to what I believe. I'm gonna live according to God who is real to me, who brought, who allowed me to to have the gift of life. I'm gonna stand, he made up his mind and he resolved not to defile himself. And sometimes we take a stand strategically to make an important point. And the point is, you can't change me. The point is, this is what I believe and my belief has validity and I have a commitment to live by my beliefs and I can't allow you to willy-nilly just deter me from what I believe. I'll put it to you like this. I'll give you an example. I'll give you, if if you're Orthodox Jew or if you're... Or if you're, a, what a, if you're, a Muslim? Yeah. Amen, Max. Thank you. <laughs> so, I hear you, Granddad. I'm, I'm, I'm Orthodox. My wife had a co-worker who's Orthodox Jew. One dear friend. And You know it's, I know because we're all grace-oriented and everything, so we look with disdain. But you know what? On Friday night, they're running. She's running, oh, trying to get. To leave work because their faith teaches honor the Sabbath, and they don't work on Saturday. Now, what I'm going to say, please don't, know get mad at me, because I realize that some of us have to work because, for, because of the gig economy, we have to do take advantage of hours when they're given to us. And I know some of you that sometimes you are on jobs seven day a week kind of world, whether it's retail or food service or other things. Entertainment, where sometimes you really, it, for the sake of survival, you need to take that thing. But for many of us, I wonder: do we ever think about it, sometimes telling our boss? Well, by the way, you know I'm a Christian; and we go to church on Sunday. You, we don't think about that because it's like, why not? Well, one reason is because we are so grace-oriented that we. Everything is negotiable for us much of the time, which is to our detriment. But because we don't think about the thing of resolving to have some sort of rule of life. This is what we do. This is where I live. These are the boundaries for me. Uh, some of you look at some of your foreparents that came before you that were great in the faith and in their life and in their testimony. Some of your parents and grandparents who loved, who loved their families and some of the people that, that, that founded churches in our community and that did ministry and that kept our community together for generations. People operated out of a, a rule of life. This is what, who I am. This is what I do. I don't do that. And if I make an exception, there's an ethical or a personal reason. And in grace, I'm given that, that, that thing. But we, we're got, we get to the place where we, we feel it. We're always succumbing to the, to, the, to the accusation that it's uncool and that we're somehow intolerant if we say, I don't do that. Yeah. There's no substitute for made up mind. At some point, you'll... you'll you'll gain some traction in your walk with God and you'll gain some, some, some traction in your own personal uh, integrity when, when you decide that, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a Christian and I'm going to be this kind of Christian, meaning a biblical Christian. You hear me, young people? Yes. Uh, I, I doesn't, Thank God we realized, aren't you glad that you, you can hip-hop dance and not go to hell? Because <laughs> when we were coming up, we had to make that decision, but the, the, it was a much it was a much narrower way. Oh, if, uh, if Bishop knew some of the kind of music that Pastor play now, Bishop Crouch he would. Oh, but you hear what I'm saying? The, one of the keys to Daniel's success is that he resolved. You make up, you, and you've got you've got to kind of do this before you get to the moment of decision. You, that's, that's why we do church. That's why you come to church. That's why you pray. That's why we have times together and we worship. We do that because in those moments, we give ourselves the opportunity to think about our lives and to reflect on who we are and where we're going so we can say, you know, God, I want to serve you. And, then, and the Holy Spirit will lead us to points, well, what are you going to do? When, when this, time? God, would you help me? You know, because at the end of the service today, maybe we have a few minutes, we may sing with holding nothing, who knows? And if we do the idea is, Lord, I, I, I want to get this in my head now. I want to make this decision that as I go forward in life, I want to give you everything, and I want that to be the rule of my life to where I hold nothing back from you so that I'm not going through life always hedging, always trying to see what I can get away with and always trying to see, and always like, but that I have a, a sense of who I am. That, that, and, and therefore, I have this sense of resolve that Daniel, he made up his mind. He said, I'm not going to sell out. And I, I don't throw cheap shots on selling out because we do various things to accommodate culture around us. We, 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 do, we, we make choices and decisions, and we try. Sometimes we experiment in certain ways. Sometimes we're trying to feel our way through life. I, you know, sometimes we, we it's not about me, you know, pointing my finger at you about selling out because those other three are pointing back at me. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, it's about each one of us being honest in our own hearts and our own lives before God. God, what what are you requiring of me? We read it in the scripture this morning as it was, we were led so eloquently by, 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 by my son in, in, in Romans 12, this idea, Paul says, what you've got to do in, in light of all that God has done for you, you've got to present your bodies, as, your whole selves as living sacrifices to God. That's the kind of thing that Christianity is about. Christianity is not just about growing up in church and getting baptized when you're 10 years old and hoping that somewhere down the line, if you don't get killed, when you get about 50, you can come back in. Yeah. Because in my generation, a whole bunch of us baby boomers, there was a big surge in the church twenty years ago because a lot of us guys started getting old and having families. Oh my good, I got to get back in church because I got kids now. <laughs> right, right, yes. Yeah. And then the third thing I got to get—I got to hasten on. Your faith in God and faithfulness to Him are the secrets to a life that lasts. There's a lot in Daniel. I'm giving you just little, you know, snippets. But Daniel and his friends dare to prove that those who are committed, truly committed to their God are not losers. we got to get over this, these, all these inferiority complexes we allow the system to inflict upon us. When it comes to whatever I resolve in my mind to forego in deference to my creator. I ain't giving up nothing. I ain't never gave up nothing for God. Right, right. What did I give up? And some of you know you've been we go through life, say, I gave up drinking. You gave up what? Right. Pouring some nasty l- liquid down your throat that's killing you so that you could anesthetize yourself and wake up the next day. What you gave up what? Right, right. I gave right. up crack cocaine. I gave up sitting around at bars till two o'clock in the morning and hoping I could find somebody to take home. I gave up stealing. And, and, and what? I gave up prison. On the prospect of a record as long as you're you know, what do you give up? Nothing. Giving up nothing. You don't give up anything, you gain everything. And see, it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of worldview. You don't give up. Jesus put it like this. He says, none of you have forsaken fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, houses, lands, and you haven't walked away from anything that you won't get a hundred times more in this life and the life to come, I mean, exponentially. It's nothing. So we're not the losers, but notice that he goes for the best and the brightest and the most gifted. I know that that. come out (laughs) remember Nina Simone was it to be young gifted and black I liked the Donnie Hathaway Roberta Flack version to be young it was the idea because in the 60s and 70s young people of African descent in America were having to get in touch with the fact that they were indeed somebody, contrary to the voices that had been perpetuated in their heads saying that you are inferior because you have coarse hair, dark skin, because you live in the inner city, because you hail from people of, of the dark, from the dark continent, whatever that means. And there was this movement to say, you know what? It was a self-affirming movement. It was a, moving, a movement of empowerment. We, yes, I, To be young, gifted, and black, that's where it's at. Some of you said, I thought Maverick's Flat was where it's at. (laughs) Not today. Not today. Well, I want to tell you something to be young, to be gifted, to be saved, to be sanctified, to be filled with the Spirit of God, to be anointed. To be holy, to be focused and sold out to Jesus. To be, to be, to be plugged into the Word of God. To be, to have God living in you, and for you to—that's where it's at. To be young, gifted, and saved. Whether you're black, white, red, yellow, black or white, doesn't matter what et- ethnicity you are. Let me tell you something. That—that that is, and that's what Daniel and 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 his and his compatriots. They—they're young, they're gifted, they're intellectually intellectual, but they're uncompromisingly committed. God. Oh my goodness the most powerful, I, I tell you the most powerful people in the world are, are people that are, that, that, that are gifted and intellectual and that are, that, that are in touch with their, their prowess and their powers at the height of their powers and capabilities and yet they are uncompromisingly committed and sold out to their creator and to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? All of you are young and gifted and all of you have so much to offer. But the thing is, in the last, the last verse in chapter 1, listen to these words, and I'm about to wrap this up. And Daniel remained there, that is, in the palace. Now, Daniel, understand what this means. He ends up, they bring him in, he and his buddies, and he ends up getting this, this high job this, in the royal palace, high level, you know, cabinet position, for decades under Nebuchadnezzar, several decades. But notice what it says. It says, Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, let me just, I got to, let me cut to the chase of this. A regime change, it's not even a regime change. It is an overthrow. The Medo-Persian Empire has come in now. The great Babylon has been overthrown and conquered. Right? And so at the end here, we're seeing over several decades, Daniel's on top in Nebuchadnezzar's administration under the Babylonian rule and Daniel here at the end of chapter one is still in power when king, he's, he's bad enough to where he stays the other government comes in and he stays in position. You're talking about somebody he remained there till the first year of King Cyrus, and that's not the end of his story. But he's there when Cyrus comes in. He stays there. He's got staying power. And I know some of y'all are too young to be thinking about. It. I didn't think about that. I, I, was, I thought I was deep when I was young, you know. And my, many of my, my peers, they, they thought I was deep too. I, I get with some of my friends I grew up in, highland, and, they, and they tell me stuff I told them. I said, I said that, man, I should be, I should be... I could, are you sure I told you that? <laughs> but I, I, and I thought about, I thought about, get, I wanted to get married, I want to have a family, but I didn't think about what it was going to be like when I had grandkids. I didn't think about what it was going to be like when I, you know, got beyond 40 years old. <laughs> I didn't think about how long, I, I thought about God calling me, I, I felt called to minister. I didn't think about whatever, I'd be in the same place for 25 years doing the same thing with a lot of the same people. I didn't think about longevity. I didn't think about staying power. I didn't think about those things. But as I grew into adulthood, I began to think about them because I re- began to realize how easy it is to be a flash in the pan. They called it today 15 minutes of fame. Yes. And in this Instagram, Facebook, Twitter era, it's now gotten down to about 15 seconds of fame. But I want to point you... Point this out to you this morning. It's your faith in God, your faithfulness to Him. This is the secret to a life that led. I don't know about you, but I kind of want to, I, I want to, and I hope if, if you're a young person, if you're a teenager, if you're a kid, I hope that you, you, you envision making something out of your life, that you will be something, and that throughout the course of your life, however long that life is, you, whatever, you, whatever you grow up into and whatever you become, you will be that, and you will persist at that, and you will remain, and you will succeed at that, and your life will last. When you, get, you start getting in your late teens, early 20s now, you start look around you, don't you, and you see your partners that are, that, that are dying, passing on. I didn't have to deal with that, because when I went to school, gang fights actually still fought. With fists and chains and knives, and you can cut somebody and go get stitched. Uh, they didn't have semi-automatic weapons and those. Guys. But you, you, you young guys, God bless you. You're dealing with things. Some of you have you, you lose friends from around you at a young age. You realize that everybody doesn't make it. And some, but we don't, and we realize that life is, is is precious and fleeting. But here's the thing: understand this that you. As long as you're on this planet, God wants you to be who you are and wants you to make a difference and wants to make a difference through you as he's made a difference in you and to you. Daniel, his faithfulness, his uncompromising, unwavering commitment to Yahweh, his refusal to to give up, his refusal to quit, his refusal to accommodate, There's something about standing tough for what you believe. It's something about being who you are. And you know that because there's something inherently inside of you. When you become, when you become an adolescent, this this thing in you, you want to make your own mark in the world. But I want to encourage you from a biblical standpoint as, as, as your pastor. The Bible says, you know what, here's the thing. We're all called to make our mark, but the secret is understanding this. You are not your own. You were bought at a price, the precious blood of Christ. And so uh, Dan, Daniel Daniel understood this and, and so he, his, his tenure spans the decades and his influence spans kingdoms you, you see, see what I'm talking about he's not a flash in the pan he's not a one hit wonder he's somebody who's, who, who's the arc of his life and his influence is, is incalculable it, it is amazing and incredible and so I, I want to encourage you to, to, to consider that fads come and go you know that uh, if you're like 14 or 13, you think that whatever is cool now is going to be cool. By the time you get out of high school, get over it. You will need to buy new clothes, and soon. <laughs> Fashions change. Styles morph into other styles, right? Uh, culture changes, and what the way we speak, and there's this constant thing going on, because that's why I don't really try too hard to... To talk like uh, like like young people, I try to talk like my people, my age, and pick up whatever little culture I have I'm privy to because I know my kids work hard to keep a lot of that. And my kids don't even talk like that no more. They they don't even trip like that. But when they were, you know, a number of years back, I know I'm thinking myself they they, you, they don't want you speaking their language. They don't want you, yo. Know, you, you're 45 years old and your kid is like 13. He do not want you, yo, what's up, dog? You know, dude, you're going to bust the room out right now. You know what I'm saying up in here? You know, man, because you know, it's like, you know, it's just ain't nothing but a G thing on the, on the vacuum cleaner. You know, you just get CZ on the he's, you know what I'm saying? And that's, a, and that's already 15, 20 years old, right? So I didn't think I had Snoop Dogg for a DZ, I mean, a daddy. <laughs> All that stuff. And it's, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's culture is fun and styles and all that stuff to play with. But you know what? In life, there are things more important than that. There are things that, that matter. There are things that last. There are things that there's something about being a man or a woman or a boy or a girl for all seasons, to be the kind of person that's going to be there when the chips are down, the kind of person whose influence is going to last. I want my life to count for something. And I did when I was a young person. Amen, Max. He said, I said, man. Up there. My grandfather, yeah. I was thinking about Psalm 1. Give him a biscuit. I, I was thinking about Psalm 1. Love that psalm. And it is really the gateway to this whole experience of praying to God in, in the Old Testament, the Psalter, the prayer book of God's people, the honesty with which they pour out their heart. But, but the first, this first psalm in this, this newer Bible translation called you guys do do me a favor, cause I'm getting ready. I need to. I, 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 yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm getting to like the cool part of the sermon. You know what I'm? <laughs> so, thank you, Max. When you are a little older, I'll explain this to you. <laughs> um, let's see how Angie does. But 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 listen, someone. This is this is what you want to be. This is what you want to live. And it reads like this from from the voice. It says. God's blessings. I think we got a thing going here. See, don't you love small church? You don't get this in Saddleback. <laughs> they have security. Drag you out of here. <laughs> and he's looking me through a glass darkly. See you, Max. Psalm 1, though, listen to this. God's blessings follow you and await you at every turn when you don't follow the advice of those who delight in wicked schemes, when you avoid sin's highway, when judgment and sarcasm beckon you but you refuse. For you, the eternal's word is your happiness. It is your focus from dusk dawn. You are like a tree planted by flowing cool streams of water that never run dry. Your fruit ripens in its time. Your leaves never fail, fade or curl in the summer sun. No matter what you do, you prosper. For those who focus on sin, the story is different. They are like the fallen husk of wheat, tossed by an open wind, left deserted and alone. In the end, the wicked will fall in judgment. The guilty will be separated from the innocent. Their road suddenly will end in death. Yet the journey of the righteous has been charted by the eternal. You get the picture? I'm going to ask you, which one of those realities do you want to live? He's saying, listen, the one that follows the way of God and Shuts off the voice of the, of the foolish people around you. And be real about some of the, a lot of the voices around you will be voices of foolishness. Some of your friends, you love them dearly, be, be their friendly, but sometimes they will speak foolishly to you because they don't know any better. Because the system is speaking through them. The principalities and powers, because the conspiracy is real. And the conspiracy is to discourage you and knock you off your game. The conspiracy is to rob you from the precious gift of faith that God has given you by going up in a church like this, around people like these, in a family like yours. Don't let him do it. Dare to be a Daniel. You say, what does the song say? The song says this. It says, dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. I challenge you this morning. Step up into that. All this other false bravado, all this other stuff. I mean, you see who can you know? I mean, I wear my pants down here. Just be careful, because I feel like beating up guys sometimes on the street when i like so. Who can, who can talk the craziest on the? Who can cuss the loudest on the bus in front of the old little old ladies trying to go to church? That's nothing. This is this. This takes some some courage. This will take some resolve. This will take some faith. This is gonna take this. This, this takes a, re, a man or a woman to to be like Daniel. To know that sometimes you will stand alone. Sometimes people will walk out of your life. Sometimes you will lose a relationship. Sometimes that that one that you thought was gonna be your boyfriend or girlfriend when they find out that you ain't playing about Jesus, they say, well, they gotta they gotta step on because you, sometimes you'll 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 stand alone and. But you've got to dare to have a sense of purpose. Yes. Yes. What, what is my life about? And then dare to not hide it all the time. Oh, you know, like, I didn't know you was a Christian. You were a Christian? Really? I would never have thought it. <laughs> <laughs> dare to be a Daniel.